the word of the day today is God. And so if we hear the word God, some of you kids in here, uh, make a note of that. My kids last, you know, last week they always tell me, Dad, you said that word 30 times or 50 times or two times or whatever it is. And a uh, helpful way for us to just kind of stay engaged. We don't run programs for basically first graders and up because, here's why. I've been part of churches where I've run all those programs in Sunday school. I've been part of all that. But what I really believe to be true, guys, and it, those things aren't bad, by the way. That, that's not wrong. But what I really believe to be true is how can we be worshiping as families and be teaching our kids some of the things, like as we're learning them and growing, like how can we be helping them participate and seeing how they are part of our church even now? This is why we gave you guys those Bibles. If you have your Bibles, kids, you can turn already, uh, kids or adults, all y'all with a Bible, turn to Revelation chapter one. That's gonna be where you can start looking for that already if you have your Bible. Revelation chapter one, that's gonna be our text for today. Revelation chapter one. I'm gonna give you a little time. It's the very end of the Bible. So it's kind of an easy one to, to find. Revelation chapter one. And as you're looking for that, as you're looking for that, um, yeah, we're gonna be camping out starting at verse like nine-ish, I think. Um, gosh, this little microphone is, keeps catching me off guard. I feel like I'm carrying my pistol on me. That's why I keep like, what? <laughs> but I don't have my pistol on me. I'm, I always feel like that right now. It's on my right-hand side. That's where I carry something. The tech team had me switch my, the microphone to my right side today. That's why I'm all feeling goofy here, but it's okay. I blame them. Awesome. Okay, you got it? Revelation chapter 1? Yep. Revelation chapter 1, verse 9 or 9 or. Right now, uh, I, on my computer, I have Seth's funeral. Seth's funeral. So if I, if I kick the bucket, um, I got kind of plans laid out for how that's going to look and how that's going to work and all this kind of stuff. I want certain songs sung, okay? I want certain stuff to happen. Lift high the cross. That's going to be a song at my funeral. I love that song. It was at our wedding. Um, th those are some kinds of things that I have spelled out. One of the things right now, which it might change, one of the things right now that I have written down for the text that I want to be used at my funeral from God's Word is this text. Revelation chapter 1, verses 9 through 18. This is what I want at my funeral. So it's kind of exciting to me today because I'm almost like preaching my funeral, kind of. Does that make sense? So I'm kind of excited. This isn't how I'd preach it, though. So I'd preach it different. You know what I mean? Kind of. I'd preach this different. I'm not preaching at my funeral, but it, it's, it's still connected to my funeral a little bit. So it's just exciting to me. I'm excited. Here it is. Revelation chapter 1, verse 9. I, John, your brother, now, real quick, if I do die and I pick a different verse, don't be like telling Jackie or something, hey, he wanted Revelation 1-9. I might switch it is all I'm saying, okay? <laughs> I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, 
was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. John here actually got exiled to an island. So he's on an island right now, okay? He got exiled by some of the, the, the authorities. And then verse 10 here, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, which probably means Sunday. You could potentially see this in connection with John having a vision of the end day, like judgment day. Potentially it could be, mean that. But most likely this is, he's saying Sunday, the Lord's day. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like burning. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the, sh the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he, la but he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last, the living one. I died. I love that. And behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. Therefore, write the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray and then we're gonna dive into this. Lord, thank you so much for this incredible opportunity to be together, to gather together on this labor day as we think about and, and think about laboring. We know that you, God, have done the ultimate laboring when you went to the cross to pay the price for our sin. And so today we get to gather together not to, not to like... Um, conjure you up or not to even like labor so hard. We got to work so hard to hear from you. God, you just want to speak to us. So help us to just get comfy in our little white chair here or, or, or on our couch at home or in our vehicle and help us to just be, I guess, just stay calm and just receive from you, not laboring to hear from you, just opening up our ears, opening up our hearts and simply hearing what you have for us today, not a word more and not a word less than that. We pray this boldly in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, three things I wanna just kind of break down from this particular text. What does God, what, what does Jesus here look like? What is he doing and what is he saying? That's the simple breakdown of today, okay? For my funeral, I would make it a little more complicated and you know, like, how was Seth awesome or something? I, I'm just kidding. <laughs> totally kidding. Uh, what, what, is, what is this, not creature, what does this being look like? What is he doing and what is he saying? Okay? 
Let's take a look at that. The first thing that stands out to me, guys, is, is, is what he, Jesus looks like here. Nowhere in the Bible, nowhere in the Bible are we given uh, a description of what Jesus looked like. Did you know that? Nowhere in Scripture are we told what Jesus looks like. like we know he was, in his humanity, we know he was Jewish of Mary. And so we know he probably was, well, not probably, he was a Jewish-looking dude. Like, we kind of know that. Um, but we don't know how tall he is. We don't know his facial features. We, we don't know what Jesus looks like. It's, in fact, it's, it's almost kind of interesting, as I was thinking about this this week, we, we aren't told what he looks like. This right here, from, from this revelation to John in Revelation here, chapter 1, is one of the only pictures that we have of what Jesus looks like. I don't know about you, but I know for me, like, the paintings I see, the pictures I see of, of different Jesuses, I got a couple different pictures of Jesus here. Now, you know, this actually here is a stained glass window that I it's one of my, it's my second favorite stained glass window. It's a church up in, in, uh, in Illinois that we worshiped at for a couple of years. And I just love, I, I had uh, the per, one of the people in the church send me this picture. I love this picture of Jesus with the sheep. Um, this stained glass window just means a lot to me. But we have some other pictures here too of, di of different pictures of Jesus. Go ahead and click to the next one. Do, 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 do. Oh, okay. Maybe we don't. We just got the one. Awesome. That's my bad. I just didn't get that to you. So this is going to lose a little bit of steam here. It's going to lose a little bit of steam. That's okay. That's okay. Just follow with me here. Have you guys seen the, uh, have you seen the like uh, California Jesus, right? You got the like hair blown, you know, back and stuff. You got the mullet going on. Uh, the, the white dude with the, the mullet. I mean, this is the Jesus that so often we think about, Right? Uh, picture Jesus in your mind. Who is, who, what are you seeing right now? You're seeing a picture uh, that somebody wrote down or, 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 or colored down or drew down. And, and, and that's our picture. But that's not what Jesus actually looked like. We don't know. Actually, the, the, the earliest pictures we have of Jesus, the earliest pictures are actually pictures of like around the third century written in, in some of the, the tombs, the catacombs of, uh, in Rome. And even that is not like, this is what Jesus looked like. It's just, this is kind of the depiction of what Jesus looks like. And certain people have different things about his hair. You know, my father-in-law, who's a pastor, for example, he's really, he's big on Jesus having short hair. And partly because the earliest pictures we have of Jesus are actually short hair Jesus. That's just kind of interesting. Okay, we got, what's that? Oh, we got, oh, yeah, there's my California Jesus guy. Yeah, yeah, Okay, oh, are you working right now to get that? No, 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 don't worry about it. It's okay. But this, you know, here we got, we got uh, California-looking Jesus. I love that picture of Jesus. Hey, baby. Hey, baby. Yeah, there's California Jesus. We got some other pictures of Jesus that we have in our minds. But Jesus isn't, that's probably not what he looked like. Here in our text though, Revelation chapter one, we actually get a picture of Jesus. He gives us, John gives us descriptions. Now you gotta remember, John is one of Jesus' disciples. John is literally walking like with Jesus. He knows what Jesus looks like. He's been walking with him, but they, he doesn't unpack any of that in like his gospel, gospel of John or in first, second John. He doesn't unpack that. Here in Revelation, he has a revelation of what Jesus looks like 
And he begins to give us some descriptions. Listen to some of the things that we hear Jesus looking like. And now put this up against what you've always thought of Jesus looking like. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and I saw seven lamps, uh, golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man. So that's interesting. A son of man. He's got human-like qualities. And we know that Jesus, even in his resurrection, is not just spirit. There's actually people that believe that Jesus, Jesus is floating spiritual with us today kind of thing. No, no. We believe in a resurrected body Jesus. Jesus, when he rose from the dead, rose bodily. Now that body begins to look different and do different things, like disappear at different times and walk through locked doors. But at the same time, he takes a bite of bread and he, he begins to eat fish and that stays still in his gut. And so there's this new body to Jesus. But he sees one that looks like the son, a son of man. So there's a bodiliness to Jesus here. Clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white like white wool, like snow. My African-American brothers and sisters have pointed out to me, Jesus here's got a fro. Jesus has got a fro. Actually, I kind of see where they're coming from, and that's actually a little bit intriguing to me because when they've made some of those comments, they're not actually joking. There's actually kind of a seriousness to their, to their point, which I, I appreciate that. Hairs of his head are white, like, like wool. Like, you know, you think of wool. His eyes are flames of fire. His feet like burnished bronze refined in a furnace. His voice like the sound of, you know, I was going to try to find like some waves or something crashing, like go standing at the beach, the waves crashing. Just this power. Yeah, Man, talk about, have you ever had somebody say your voice sounded like that? like a rushing water, the roar of many waters. There's a soothingness and a power there, isn't there? In his right hand, he's holding seven stars, and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. That's kind of interesting to me. Here's this picture of, of Jesus. He's got a sword coming out of his mouth. What the heck is going on here? You know, as I think of like Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, the word of God is sharper than a double-edged sword piercing the division. You know, as I start to make connections to this physical picture of Jesus, who's, who you, as John looks at his, his head is shining, like, like looking at the sun, he's trying his hardest to give us a picture. And language is so falling short here, right? I and mean, we can just, you can sense language is falling short of what he's seeing. But this incredible being, this incredible being 
is what's pictured. When you picture, and, and if you look up, if you Google Revelation chapter one pictures of Jesus, right? You get some funky looking stuff, which is why I was like, I'm not even putting any of that up here. Because it, it'll just, I actually like the picture just of, of kind of like reading the book, you know, versus the movie almost here. What an incredible being. Try to just think about that as you're looking at your Bible. Just let that meditate on his image here. What he looks like. Now, that picture, does that, do you see a connection there to California Jesus? That's just fascinating to me. You know, we're in a series that we're calling Big God. And so I, I admitted to you on the front end of this series that I have probably a smaller view of Jesus oftentimes in my mind. I think of Jesus as Jesus of Nazareth, who I follow. Uh, he's my savior. He's my Lord. He's my king. I don't mind putting a crown on it. Yes, he's my king. He's my Lord. But um, you know, in my life, my day-to-day -day life, I think of Jesus much more fleshy, much more close and connected to me. And here you start to get this, and that's partly why I wanted to get into this series, because I wanted to get into a series of beginning to not, not put boxes around God and who he is, and not, not kind of box him in. I, let me see God in, in glory, and you kind of can't right now, but give me a glimpse of it. And I think we start to get a glimpse of it here. Jesus in, as this being that's just, Powerful and immense. How many of you think of Jesus like that? Okay, what is he doing? I want to kind of move on because I really want to get to what does he say. But, but, but what is he doing? Look at verse 16. In his right hand, he's holding seven stars. What the hey, fish fillet? He's holding seven stars. Verse 17. When I saw him, I fell at his feet, though dead, but he laid his right... What hand is he holding the seven stars in? Right hand. Which hand does it say he lays on John's shoulder? Woo! That'll preach. Listen. The same God who's so powerful, and we learn later on that these seven stars are actually the seven churches, and that way it's like, okay, what's that all mean? What does that look like? I don't get that. But uh, stick with me here just for a moment, just this idea, because John is saying there's these seven stars, and this, this powerful being is holding these stars, and John falls down as if he's dead, and, in, and instead of just, you know, just being blown away or something by some hurricane force winds. He feels a hand on his shoulder. And it's interesting that he points out it's the right hand. There was the, it's the hand that was holding these stars is the same hand that puts on John's shoulder. And as I was just kind of reflecting on this a little bit, I was thinking, man, how can God be so big and so powerful and so, huh, that he could hold stars in his hand and at the same time be so down to earth and loving and merciful that he would put a hand on John's shoulder. 
You know, I think of my own kids. I, not, this is a different context. This is discipline. But when I've disciplined physically my kids, I, I, for me personally, one of my, my goals is to always follow that up with uh, going into their room and, and speaking gently and, and touching a shoulder or something to show. Dad's not just kind of guy. I'm also loving and I can hug and I can bring close and nurture, okay? Not the same thing as this. I'm just kind of-ish. As I was thinking about this some more, I was thinking, how can God, you know, we've talked about this a little bit in our church, how can God be both just, like, powerful and, 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 you know, he says this is the way it has to be. How can he be both that and at the same time be gracious and merciful? Have you ever wrestled with that? How can God be both just and merciful at the same time? It's interesting because our culture, our world, kind of talks about this in a very different way. Our culture and world basically says, you can do whatever you want to do, express yourself, be yourself, do whatever you want to do, as long as it doesn't hurt somebody else. Kind of-ish, that's what our culture teaches, right? And then the rest of us are just to accept that, no matter what, as long as it's not hurting other people physically or something, then you just do whatever you want to do. Now, a biblical worldview has a really hard time with that because we look at Scripture and we're like, no, there are certain things that just are. There's certain kind of truths that even if everybody took a vote and said, we vote this way, God would say, no, it's this way. Does that make sense? So something like racism or murder or whatever you want to call it, there are certain things that just are truths that are just wrong or right or whatever, and it doesn't matter what the everybody thinks or feels or, or says about it. It just is that way. So then it even almost in some ways gets more complex because then it's like, well, how can God, who says this is the way it has to be, then come around at the same time with grace and mercy and love. You know, this kind of idea of like holding the seven stars in power and authority. This is the way it is. I have the universe in the, uh, Colossians talks about the universe being sustained. No, that's not Colossians. That's Revelation actually chapter one earlier on. One of those two, gosh, now I'm just brain farting a little bit, but he's sustaining the universe by, his, by the word, and at the same time, he can come in and put a hand on and, and love and care. How is that possible? Have you ever thought about that? See, the biblical answer to that, the biblical answer to God's 100, it's not 50-50, his 100% justice and wrath poured out on sin. And at the same time, 100% grace and mercy. The answer, the biblical answer is the cross. This is why at my funeral, we will be singing most likely the song, Lift High the Cross. We will continue to focus on that. Who cares if Seth was a good dude or not a good dude? The cross. Because it's at the cross 
that the full wrath against all evil gets poured out. The full wrath of God gets directed to his son, his only son, Jesus. And Jesus takes the full wrath and judgment of all sin and all punishment, uh, everything that should be directed at evil in this world. He becomes that for us. He be, all of evil gets sucked in like a black hole into the, into the cross. And at the same exact time, he is working salvation, grace, and mercy towards us. Whew. That's why the cross is such a big deal. It's why the cross in so many ways is, is the only way to think about the reality of this world. When you start to think about different worldviews and such, the only answer to the question of evil, for example, is the cross. That's huge. That's huge, guys. I, I wish I could preach that better so that you'd get that better. But if you just take that and think about that, Jesus working grace and mercy towards us while he takes the full wrath and punishment of God. Fully justified. Full just, like God getting what God needs for evil and brokenness and all the junk in this world. God needs to have, there's gotta be death, sacrifice, blood needs to be, he gets that through his son, not through us. And in that, he's redeeming Israel. He's redeeming the world. It's incredible. Keep in mind the picture here of Jesus and who he is. Burnished bronze, eyes flaming in fire. This one went to the cross. What does he say? Look at verse 17 and 18. What does Jesus say here? When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not, I am the first and the last. I love that. Remember last week when I shared, because we were talking about the fear of the Lord. Man, you gotta go listen to the past couple weeks messages, guys, if you haven't already. Do you, do you remember when I was talking about the fear of the Lord's beginning of wisdom, like how important it is for us to actually fear God? And I tried to not tame that down to just be in awe of God, like so many people do. No, no, it's deeper than that. Do you fear him? Notice here this incredible creature, not creature. Gosh, I always want to say that. It's not a creature. He's not been created. This incredible being, Jesus, it is Jesus. But this incredible being that we're getting pictured here, do not fear. Yeah, but I'm really scared. I'm, I'm really afraid. John is like, this is freaking me out. Don't, don't be afraid. Do you remember what I said last time? When we fear God, when we fear God, we have nothing to fear. When we fear God, we have nothing to fear. That's, man, that's powerful stuff. I stole that from somebody, I'm sure. When we fear God, 
We have nothing to fear. And so this is why John does fear God. And he fears God. And Jesus comes and says, be not afraid. Today, what are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? Just kind of an extra pitch from last week. The only thing we should fear is God himself. And when we fear him, he'll come and he'll say, be not afraid. Fear not. Look at what else he says. I am, uh, fear not, I am the first and the last. That's verse 17. That is back, if you look at verse 8, in your Bible, I don't have it up on the screen, but he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I am the Alpha and the Omega, similar to I am the first and the last. He's always been eternal God. Verse 18, I am the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. I have the keys of death and Hades. You know, my wife and I, we were talking about this text a little bit this past week, and she made a great comment about, you know, when we think about Jesus of Nazareth walking around, like getting in boats with people, and, you know, taking a bite of fish and, and uh, doing whatever he's doing. When we think about that Jesus dying, it, it's, it's not that hard for us to get there, right? We kind of are like, okay, that makes sense. He could die. Because, see, all of us are going to die, Unless Christ returns. You always got to say that quick. Somebody otherwise comes up after. Eh, let me tell you something. Okay, okay, okay. But we're all going to die. Everybody that's come before us has died. And we're all going to die. And so for us, death is like, well, that's, that's what's going to come. That's what comes. You're, we die. And so when we think about Jesus dying, when he says here, I died, when we think about it, it's like, yeah, it's not too hard. It's like, well, yeah, that's what happens when you're, you, you die. But see, G listen to the, look at the picture of who is being described here and now have that being who's holding the stars in his hand, who, who, who's all-powerful, all this incredible being, now have that one say, I died. Do you see that? Do you see how communion changes and why I wanted communion today after the message? Because when you, when you think of just receiving a little bread and wine, and if, you know, theologically you're moved as I am to listen to Jesus and what he says about it when he said, this is my body and blood, that we actually receive Christ's true body and blood. Okay, Jesus of Nazareth, okay, whatever. But when it's this being whose body and blood we receive, doesn't it change it? The only picture of, of Jesus that we have in all of the scriptures, and this is the picture of this sword coming out of his mouth. This one died. I am the living one. I am the living one. I died. You, know, you look at Colossians. Look at this Colossians text. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority. All things are created by him, through him, and for him. He is the living one. He's made everything. He's the, he's the one that life flows out of. And then, at the same time, he's not only the one who gives 
like creaturely life, but he's also the one who gives eternal life. If you look at like John uh, chapter or whatever it is, 11, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? He is the one who provides not only creaturely life that we breathe. You're breathing right now because he's allowing that to happen, but we actually are given eternal life. That one who is alive, I am the living one, he dies. See, this is why I love this text for my funeral someday. His death, his death, his dying, he didn't die because that's just what happens. He died willingly. Do you see that? He, he, he can hold stars in his hand. He can uphold the universe. He doesn't just die because that's what you do. He dies because he willingly goes to die. You know, all through the text, as, uh, through Holy Week, as you're walking through with Jesus, every step of the way, he's in complete control. Even on the cross, he gives up his spirit for you and for me. I am the living one. I died. That I think, I actually believe this to be true. I think for all of eternity, that phrase, I am the living one, I died. And one day when we see Jesus face to face in full glory, when we see him like this, I think we will forever and eternally be in awe of that phrase. We will forever and eternally not fully get it. it we're Because we're going to see this incredibly holy and perfect and powerful and almighty. And then we'll be, and you died? Well, that'll just be like, what? And it was for you and it was for me. This incredible text. Let's, I want to show you this quick from Luke chapter 24. This was just brought to my attention recently. Luke chapter 24. This is Jesus walking with two guys after he rose from the dead, okay? He rises from the dead and he starts walking with these two guys on what's called the road to Emmaus, okay? You've probably heard this story if you've been in the church for a while. But if you haven't, just Jesus ascends, or he, he rises from the dead and now he starts meeting and connecting with people, revealing himself to especially his disciples. And he does this on this road to Emmaus with two disciples. And as they're walking along, Jesus keeps from them from being able to see who he is. And he begins to teach them certain things. Look at what Jesus says to them. Our chief priests and our rulers, because they were sad. These two guys are really bummed. And Jesus comes along, why are you guys so sad? What's going on? And he said, well, our chief priests and our rulers delivered Jesus up to be condemned to death and they crucified him. And I put a little smiley face right here in my Bible. Verse 21, we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. We were hoping he'd redeem us. That's amazing because they see him die and that for them gets turned around and they're like, man, we thought he was going to redeem us. That's how he did redeem them, by dying. Do you see that, what I'm saying? Like, that, that's the kind of cool part of that text 
is that they were thinking it all backwards. They were all thinking, oh, that can't be how you do it. That's how he did it. That's how he saved us. He saved us by dying, not because he's got to die. No, he's the living one, eternally alive, forever going and blowing, baby. And he came to die. Why? For you and for me. That's how much he loves us. That's his right hand holding not only the stars in his hand, but then he comes up to you and he puts his hand on your shoulder and says, fear not. Does that make sense even a little bit? Okay, two head nods, that's good. Good, good, good. We got two head nods. So that's kind of today's message, guys. Um, it's not California Jesus that died. It's this being, this being who's got swords coming out of his mouth. It's this being, in full, the powerful, that he laid aside. You can go read about that in Philippians chapter two. He laid aside his glory and came humbly to put on flesh that now he is in flesh. He's got flesh for all of eternity. The incarnation was a, a kind of, well, we're not gonna get into that today, but it, it was it, it, this, it, now for all of eternity, he is the, like one that's like the son of man. And he, he, he does this because he lays aside that glory to take on our sin so that he, be, I mean, I've said this so many times here, some of you are getting sick of it, but he becomes like us so that we can become like him. And so there will be a day when we are glorified in connection and relationship to him. Man, I don't know what that looks like, but if Seth looks anything like that, I'll take it, baby. I don't mind wearing a sash around the... I'll do the sash thing if I can have bronze looking feet or something. I don't know. I don't know. But wow. And guys, he becomes like us so that we can become like him. This is all through his blood. This is all through his blood, all through him working salvation on your behalf. Labor Day weekend, it's not about us laboring to get hit. He has labored for us. Receive that and rest in that today. Let's pray. God, thank you for your incredible gifts. Thank you for your blessings of um, salvation and life, life eternal. Thank you for, for the joy that we can have. I mean, I think of, I could, I could have that be my last point today. The joy that we get with this, that you win. You make all things new someday. As we even read through Revelation even more, like the new heavens, new earth, all connected to you. God, I'm sorry. I'll just say for me, I'm sorry for where I've made you too small. And maybe focus more on the hand on the shoulder parts of my life than I did on the you holding up the church, the stars, the universe. Um, you are an all-powerful God. And um, I'm sorry for where I've made you too small. God, give us the courage to take the next step today that you're calling us to take. Maybe it's somebody today that doesn't trust in you. Uh, somebody today that doesn't believe in you. And today they've been gifted the gift of the gospel. 
that they could hear what you have done for them through your death and resurrection. And, um, and you've actually, through the power of your Holy Spirit and through that word, have given them the gift of faith. If that happened today, God, I pray that you'd move that person to take that next step of, of clinging to that, receiving that and learning more about that from other believers, especially those who are mature in their faith and can point them to or continue to point them to you. God, if, if there's somebody that just gets encouraged today and strengthened in their faith, may those roots of their faith grow even deeper. God, whatever it might be uh, that you wanted to speak to us through this word, give us the strength, give us the courage to take the steps you have for us. We love you, Lord. Thank you for this incredible picture of who you are, who you really are. Thank you, in Jesus' name, amen.